Man, I tell you, you know, it feels to me like God is up to something. And you've been, I, I've been seeing it. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm a student of revival. I've been studying about revival since I was about 11 years old. I didn't know what it was, but I said, I want one of those. I, I want to I be a part of that. I hear these stories about these great missionaries and these great preachers, and I was like, I, I want some of that. What does that look like? Right? And so I read books on revival and awakening and say, what are the keys to those revivals and those awakenings? And one of my, one of my uh, greatest books that I've ever read on revival, probably the greatest book I've ever read on revival other than the Bible, got to say that, is the Book of Mormon. I'm just joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's George Whitfield, The Life and Times of George Whitfield. And it's a two-volume set by Arnold Dalimore, and it unpacks the First Great Awakening. And a lot of us don't realize, I didn't realize, that the colonies were a very dark place spiritually after the Puritans and before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. There were entire villages given over to drunkenness and prostitution. And two guys from England, George Whitfield and John Wesley, made their way to the United States, which was not the United States yet, it was the colonies, right? And they began to preach. And Whitfield preached with power. Uh, literally, his voice was so booming, the greatest actor in England said, oh, if I could say, oh, like George Whitfield. He could be clearly heard, according to Benjamin Franklin, a mile away. This, this last uh, May, I, I was in Christ Church in Philly, where George Whitfield preached to 30,000 people without voice amplification. And I was just imagining that. Could you imagine that? Little known fact, he, he was cross-signed. So I think a lot of people thought, man, I'm coming to Christ because he's looking right at me, right? Every, every painting you see, right, is Whitfield up there, right? Wesley gathered everybody together in small groups and bands and societies and they had circuit riders, many of whom were teenagers, that began to travel from city to city and place to place and share the gospel and strengthen and disciple. And this, this awakening blew up. And Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan preacher who preached the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was also the chief historian of the First Great Awakening. He wrote these words, The revival has been chiefly amongst the young. So the first great awakening was a revival of young people. Then you kind of fast forward into the mid-19th century, you see great preachers like Deal Moody, who did not start out as a great preacher. They wouldn't give him a job at church, so you know what he did? He started a Sunday school on his own. Do you know how many students he had? How many teenagers and young people? He had 1,500 attending a weekly Sunday school class. Matter of fact, it was so famous across the nation that Abraham Lincoln came to see what was happening. And he took the street kids and he got them saved and he got them trained and he got them unleashed. And so many grew up, he eventually started what we now know as Moody Bible Institute, which is still churning out missionaries and ministers to this day. You had Charles Spurgeon, the famous teen preacher. He began to preach when he was in church, at a church when he was 16 years old. By the age of 19, he was pastor of the largest church in England. He built this church and it grew and exploded in one of the poorest parts 
of London. And somebody said, why did you build a church in the, in, the, in the poorest part, the most dangerous part of London? He said, if you want to set a house on fire, start the fire in the basement. Because fire burns upward. I say, if you want to start a revival in a church, start the revival in the youth room. Because that, that fire burns outward. So these great revivals led by many, many young people. And then we see about 70 years ago, there was another movement in the United States. Out of that movement, the gospel movement, we had the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Young Life, Youth for Christ, Crew, Word of Life, and on and on and on. This movement of reaching young people explodes across the nation and across the world. And millions have come to Christ as a result. And you look how God has used young people in almost every single one of these movements. Probably the latest movement is the Jesus, was the Jesus movement. And I remember the tail end of the Jesus movement. It was in the 60s and early 70s. And it began in San Francisco, spread to Southern California. Out of the Jesus movement, all these hippies that came into drug culture, got radically saved, began to tell everybody about Jesus. Out of that. Came, came singers like Keith Green. And the, what we know is the contemporary Christian music scene now owes its roots to the Jesus movement. Youth ministry, as we know it now, owes its roots to revival among a bunch of hippies in San Francisco and Southern California. Right. There was one radical named Arthur Blessed. Arthur Blessed was this guy that chained himself in front of a strip bar to a cross and would preach the gospel when people came stumbling out of this strip bar. Finally, he put wheels on the bottom of that cross, began to walk around the world. He still holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most miles walked. He's visited every country, 42,000 miles of walking, leading millions of people to Christ in every country. He, led, uh, he shared the gospel with Yasser Arafat. He's the one that led George uh, Bush to Christ, George W. Bush to Jesus Christ. He'd been all over the world preaching the gospel, and a couple years ago, I got to be on TBN with him. Now, I'm, you know, being on TBN is quite an experience. I didn't have the clothes for it. Um, <laughs> so I went shirtless. And no, I didn't. Uh, more awkward moments. Anyway, and so I'm sitting there talking to him on TBN, and he's going off on this story about how he's been all over the world and preached the gospel to millions of people, but not once did anybody ever share with him the gospel. He says, except for just a few years ago, I was walking out of a restaurant in Denver with my wife, and a group of teenagers came up to me and shared the gospel of Christ so clearly and so compellingly. And he said, I asked them, where are you guys from? They said, we're from Dare to Share. And he just began to weep. And he goes, it gave me hope that a new movement may begin. And let me just tell you, it's not about Dare to Share. Because we don't, Dare to Share is a means to the end. You know what the means, you know what the end is. You're the end. Your students are the end. Every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. That's why our mission at Dare to Share is energizing the church to mobilize youth to gospelize their world. So you guys are the key to making this happen. And so I've been reading about these revivals and reading about all this stuff that God is doing. And I got invited to speak in January at, a, at an event that's promoting this thing called Go 2020, which is a global movement in 140 countries around the world. Their goal is in a month of May to have a billion people hear the gospel of Christ around the world and mobilize 100 million people. Uh, 
uh, Christians, young and old, to share the gospel of Christ. And I'm like, yeah, we're in. Put us in, coach. We'll, we'll play whatever part you want, right? And, and so uh, I was there at the North American gathering. There was heads of denominations. I mean, the big dogs were in that room. The head of crew, uh, Steve Douglas, I mean, the guy that took over after Bill Bright. I mean, these are some big, big influencers. My buddy Dave Gibson runs the North America chapter. He said, Greg, would you, would you preach the close? I'm like, uh, let me, yes, I will. I'm terrified, but yes. And, uh, and so I got a chance to, to, to preach the close. But have you ever been in a situation where you get that sermon and you're ready, you're on the plane or, or headed to the place, and you're like, oh, no, this is not the right one. And I had the sermon all prepared. Ready to go. And I knew when I got on a plane from Denver to Orlando, this is not the right sermon to preach. So on the plane, what, what I was going to do is, is based on a, a book by Steve Addison called a Movements That Change the World. And so I was going to share those five points. And I just felt compelled in my spirit. You know what? I need to not preach some dude's five points. I need to preach scriptural points, however many there are. What's the ultimate example of a, a spiritual movement? And I got Acts 4, 31 through 33. And I'll, I'll share that in just a few minutes. And I was like, man... These contain three keys to kickstarting a movement. So I'm, I'm going to preach that. And so I write the sermon, and I'm, I'm getting all ready. And all of a sudden, as I'm getting ready to preach, here's how we kickstart a movement. I'm thinking of my three points. And I begin to realize these points are already happening. And I begin to realize, oh my goodness. Are all those prayers being answered? Are we at the beginning of a third great awakening? Maybe America's last to catch up. But if all these points are happening, maybe I need to change this sermon to three signs of revival that are already taking place. And I'm convinced we are on the precipice, the beginning of of a, the next great awakening and we get to be a part of it and here's what's crazy about this whole thing what happens here in the US what is happening here with, with the Life in Six Words app with Dare to Share Live with Lead the Cause with what you're doing at your local church how you're uniting your cities together people from around the world are coming they're watching, they're copying they're implementing actually with even greater impact in other countries because this is hard soil but it's starting to blow up and it's starting to multiply but I want you guys to know you're, you're at the epicenter of what I believe is going to be the next great awakening yeah and I believe that someday, if the Lord tarries, they will write back about this period of time that you and I get to be a part of. So let's not screw it up. <laughs> and let's make sure that we are looking to the text to guide us. And I think that's what we're going to see in Acts 4, 31 through 33. After they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I believe in this passage are the three keys to revival that we are seeing happening, starting to happen in the United States and already happening around the world. The first one is this. Prayer is prioritized. 
Prayer is prioritized. Every great awakening you read throughout the ages, prayer leads the way. Prayer is prioritized. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So I preach a sermon to these 110 ministry leaders. And the guy, they give me 15 minutes on the clock, right? And I try to honor the clock. But they change the clock in the middle. And I don't know why, but he goes, take five, take five, take five. So give me an extra five minutes. That never happens. So I take an extra five minutes, you know? And he goes, keep going, keep going. And so I am, I am just preaching to them. And I don't know how the audience is taking it because they're just locked in. And at the very end, Steve Douglas, who's the president of Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, comes stumbling to the front. And I'm like, oh, this ain't going to be good. He's going to confront me for something that I said in my sermon. And he whispers something to Dave Gibson, my buddy, who's running the thing. He grabs the microphone and said, I had prepared statements, but I have no prepared statement. My only statement is after, I, I, I believe that we may be at the beginning of the next great awakening. And I think we just need to get on our knees and pray that God allows us to, to, to steward this well. And we got on our knees and from Southern Baptist to Pentecostal, yeah. from Charismatic to Methodist, God. from Lutheran to parachurch, from urban, suburban to rural, we got on our knees and we prayed and we cried out and it was the closest thing I've ever experienced to an Acts 4 situation. Prayer is being prioritized. Prayer must continue to be prioritized. One of the problems is when things start moving, sometimes we start taking credit. Then we get in the flesh. We need to stay on our knees. Man, you got ministries like the National Day of Prayer. See at the poll. Praise God for see at the poll. Grinding it for years. Kids taking steps of courage to gather around a pool and pray. You have ministries like IHOP, the prayer, not pancakes, that gather together in Kansas City and in 24-7 prayer stations around the nation and around the world praying. you got moms in prayer. And there's nothing more dangerous than a group of millions of moms praying for revival. There's an old revival quote that says, Satan laughs at our strategies, he mocks all our at our labors, but he trembles when we pray. Because when we pray, we are tapping in to the divine power of the Trinity. That synergy and energy among the Trinity, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that set him above every other name, that same power that made Jesus the ruler of heaven and earth, that same power is available to us when we pray. Pray, according to Ephesians chapter 1. So I know you got troubles, and I know you got struggles, and I know we do too, but you know what? They're nothing compared to the power of God. We want to see that revival? We've got to pray through those barriers. Acts 6, 4, what did the apostles do? They delegated everything they possibly could to focus on two things, prayer and the ministry of the Word. How did Jesus run His ministry? He prayed. D.L. Moody once said, Jesus never taught his disciples to preach, but only how to pray. You see, Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, he kicks off almost every epistle with a prayer. He breaks out in Romans 11 in the middle. He's so blown away by the theology of salvation. He breaks out into a spoken word prayer to God that would make propaganda proud, right? He, he can't pray. He can't stop praying. He, city to city, he's praying. He always tells them, I always 
I always pray for you. I never cease to stop praying for you. And it just convicts me. We need to be praying for our kids. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for other churches in our area. We want to tear down those barriers. It starts on our knees in prayer. Yeah. Look at the great movements of the Moravians that went on a hundred year, day and night, 24-7, without ceasing, prayer time. The desperate intercessions of Whitfield, Wesley, Edwards on behalf of a lost world and a sleeping church. The passionate pleadings of Finney and Moody and Spurgeon and Second Great Awakening. And on and on and on from the Azusa Street Revival to the Jesus Movement. It's not our plans or strategies or methods that bring revival. It's not dare to share life. It's not lead the cause. It's not word of life or sun life or multiply or whatever you got. It is the power of God unleashed through prayer. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to change everything. Right. That's why, you know, we, we prioritize prayer at Dare to Share. We're going we're to close out tonight with the time of prayer. That's why I lead the cause, as John was talking about. We, we spend the morning training students how to pray. Then we go out and actually spend the afternoon praying. Like in Denver, we go to Columbine High School. We pray in the school, around the school, at the memorial. Those kids come back forever marked by prayer. Right. We use different things to teach different ways to pray. We go to D.C., you got all the monuments that we use as prayer points that really marks these students. In Chicago, you have a little thing called the Billy Graham Museum, right? That's pretty good when it comes to a prayer place, right? You have the Underground Railroad. We use all of these as examples so students are forever marked to know how to pray. Dare to share life. What do we do? In the last segment, we spend time in prayer. And what's great about it is you're praying. Last year in 125 cities, my prayer this year was double that, 250 cities. Well, let's get every community. Let's blow this thing up and out. Praying simultaneously for revival across the nation. And then God willing, we're going to test out and see what does Dare to Share Lives look like internationally. Could you imagine a generation around the world getting trained and equipped? We don't know what in the world we're doing. We don't know how to do that. It don't matter, because we got the power of the Trinity at our, at our disposal, right? We have the mind of God. You may be thinking, I don't know how to get these networks together. I don't know how to pull this up. It doesn't matter. You don't need to. You know the one who does. We have the mind of Christ. We have access to the mind of Christ. Yeah. Hudson Taylor is another movement, a missionary movement. A missionary movement in the mid-19th century. And missions just kind of just blew up. Missionaries being recruited. You know who was leading the pack? Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, who was a teenager, was moved by the Chinese. Came to Christ, got moved to reach the Chinese people. You know what he did in England? He went to the, he moved as a teen to the slummiest parts of England so he could learn, learn to live as a poor person and minister to people. He took up the medical profession because he wanted to learn it. He went to, then he went to China. Nobody went inland China. So he started trying to go in. Everybody's like, no, we don't want to do that. The English missionaries, we just want to, we'll drink our tea and we'll preach on Sunday. He's like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go in. So he came in and he's dressed like an Englishman. As, you know, you, you looked like a foreign devil. So you know what he did? He adopted Chinese clothes. He grew a, um, a ponytail, right? He dyed his hair black. He was a radical. But you know the most radical part of what he did is he began to recruit missionaries back home. He recruited 800 missionaries from Europe 
to join the China Inland Mission. And he recruited at least 800 other missionaries to join other missions to other parts of the world. This guy, his greatest impact was not just what he did in China, it was the recruiting of the movement. How did he recruit that movement? You know when it really began to grow? After he was paralyzed for a short period of time and could not move out of his bed. You know what happened there? Here's what he says. Then came the paralysis of the lower limbs. This is written by his son, this part. Completely confining him to his couch. Laid aside in the prime of life. He could only lie in that upstairs room, conscious of all that there was to be done. Of all that was not being attended to. Lie there and rejoice in God. Yes, rejoice in God. With desires and hopes as limitless as the needs oppressed upon his heart. With the prayer that he had prayed. And the answers God had given with opportunities opening up in China. And a wave of channels with little hope, humanly speaking, that he would ever stand or walk again. The deepest thing was his joy in the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Certain as it was from the place of suffering sprang all the larger growth of the China Inland Mission. A narrow bed with four posts was a sphere to which Mr. Taylor was now restricted. But between the posts, at the foot of the bed, still the map of China. Yes, there it hung, the map of the whole of China. And around about him, day and night, was a presence to which he had access in the name of Jesus. The outlook did not brighten as the year drew to a close. Mr. Taylor was less and less able to move and could, not, could only turn in bed with the help of a rope fixed above him. At first he had managed to write a little, but now he could not even hold a pen. Later on he said... One of the happiest periods of my life was that period of forced inactivity when one could do nothing but rejoice in the Lord and wait patiently for Him and seeing Him meeting all one's needs. It was during that time that the most of those missionaries were recruited. When He could do nothing but pray. So whatever you do with Dare to Share Life, with your youth ministry, with lead the cause or camp or whatever you do, prayer must be prioritized. Amen. Secondly, in a genuine spiritual awakening, believers are mobilized. That's when you know revival happens, when the prayer meeting turns into an outreach. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the idea there is they cannot just sit around and contain themselves in a room singing all day and praying all day. They're like, we've got to get out. We've got to tell somebody. Because we're full of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit want to do? According to John, testify to Jesus. Testify about Jesus. So when they're full of the Spirit, He sets our tongues on fire with the gospel of Christ. Believers are mobilized. What does that word mobilized mean? Three things. Number one, it means inspire, equip, unleash. We must inspire them. A big part of what we do at Dare to Share is inspire. Teenagers need to realize what is at stake. Youth leaders need to realize what is at stake. And just to remind us, heaven and hell hang in the balance. We're here to save Students from the hell they're headed to and the hell they're going through apart from Jesus Christ. If that doesn't inspire, think about the love of God lavished upon us. If that doesn't inspire, think about Jesus is coming back anytime. If that doesn't inspire, take a pulse. <laughs> we need to be inspired. We need to inspire our students 
with the importance of the gospel. And one of the great things about Dare to Share Live, man, students get inspired to share. And it's really weird because we did conference for so many years. And, you know, we're used to inspire students inside of a big arena. But there's something about students, even in a small room, when they look on the map and they see there are gospel conversations happening all across the United States, and God willing, someday, all across the world, there's a different kind of inspiration. That I'm not just part of an event, I'm part of a movement from coast to coast, and maybe someday around the globe, the gospel is going out. Students need inspired. Then they need trained. Students need trained how to share the gospel. How to bring it up. How to explain it. And there are many methods for sharing the gospel. There's the four with crew. Great. Three circles. The four spiritual laws. Uh, Brian's got the good, the good news kind of strategy. A lot of great tools and resources out there to share the gospel. At Dare to Share, we use Life in Six Words. It's a simple little app to share the gospel of Christ. What we've been telling uh, people on the Winter Jam Tour is if you can... Swipe and read, you can share the gospel. And Dare to Share Live last year, it just debuted, so we didn't put a lot of effort into programming it into the program because we didn't know for sure if it'd be ready. It was ready. We, we unleashed it this year at Dare to Share Live. It's going to be a lot of a Dare to Share Live app for them to interact with each other, but it's going to be the primary tool for the outreach time. And I'll be honest with you, I've never, I've never seen an easier tool to use I've never used it tool. I've used it at least a couple hundred times. I've never been turned down to engage with it. You just ask somebody if you were to describe your life in six words, what would they be? They choose the words, and then people open up, tell you their story. Can I share it now? Can I share with you my six words? And then you share your story and tie in Jesus and God. And then can I share with you the Bible six words? And then you walk through the gospel. You swipe and read. You can pull up verses as you go. And at the end, if they trust Christ, they push, yes, I trust the Christ. Water comes out, baptizes them. It's an awesome thing. It doesn't actually happen. That would be cool though, wouldn't it? There's a cause circle on there. They can program the names of their friends into the cause circle. They can get daily reminders or weekly reminders to pray for their friends. They can create faith-sharing groups. Hey, listen up real quick. Let me tell you. I think there's a lot of youth leaders even in this room that have not really discovered the full functionality of life in six words. I want to encourage you, download that app. Well, I use it at Winter Jam. I trained all the, all the singers uh, and artists how to use it. Austin French, he downloaded the app. He goes, dude, I've never seen a cooler app. This is the best Christian app I've ever seen, period. He goes, I got my whole band on it. I found out today, he's got his whole, like, he got his producer, all their team on it. They're a face-sharing group. He holds them accountable. He's even thinking about using it at his, at his different concerts to challenge the believers in the room to share their faith. And this is a singer, right? Man, how much more can we dive in with our students? We want to keep them accountable. Dive into that Life in Six Words app. By the way, in April, it's going to be available in five languages. Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, and wait for it, Hungarian. It's a long story, but it's going to be available in Hungarian. And let me just tell you this. What's cool about this, we've been working with Word of Life to get the best translations of this. I was preaching to a bunch of NFL football players two weeks ago at the NFL conference. 250 NFL football players and their wives really encourage them, man, download the app, use the app, uh, share the gospel. And I was going back to my room, 
And this lady who had just made it, just cleaned the room, came out. Her name was Anna. I began to talk to her. She only spoke Spanish. She didn't speak any English. So I have the beta on my Life in Six Words app. So I change it to Spanish, and I have her go through it. And as she's going through Cristo, because that's the acrostic in Spanish, it's Christ. Uh, and she is reading every one of these, and she begins to weep. She begins to cry. She goes, see, see, see. She gets all the way through to where it comes up. Uh, Christo, and, and I didn't know how to ask her to put her faith in Christ. I was like, El Trusto Christo. <laughs> she looks at me and goes, See, and she collapses in my arms and begins to cry. And I'm like, What the heck is going on right now? This is awesome. Let me just tell you. If your kids can swipe and read, they can share the gospel. If you do not unpack that, at the end of the day, it's not about an app, though. I don't go into a steak restaurant for the plate. I go for the steak. Life in Six Words is a great plate. There's other great plates out there. Get the steak served. Get that message communicated. Mobilize. Inspire. Equip. And unleash. Oh, I could go on and on and on about the unleashing opportunities that are happening. I've already talked about Go 2020. Southern Baptist got a have a huge movement called Who's Your One, led by Pastor Johnny Hunt and Shane Pruitt. Uh, just about a month and a half ago, the Send 2020 in Brazil. I don't know if any of you guys saw the videos. 140,000 people, young people being mobilized for the gospel in Brazil. Uh, Word of Life, they're doing reverb. Uh, they're, they're doing these outreach events where they're not just reaching out. They're also challenging those students to download the Life in Six Words app and share the gospel. You got Brian Baldwin leading the, leading the charge in Oklahoma to gospelize 1,800 uh, Southern Baptist churches, get them praying, get them equipped and unleashed. You've done at least a couple hundred good news trainings down there using Falls Creek and all this other stuff. I mean, go on and on around the room. What God is doing, man, young people are being mobilized for the gospel this summer. I got invited to preach at Promise Keepers. They wanted me, they're going to be at the AT&T Stadium in Dallas. They wanted me to give the gospel on Friday night. Believe it or not, I said, no, why don't, why don't you get somebody famous to give the gospel on Friday night, right? Let me do the last sermon and train all the men how to share their faith, have them download the Life in Six Words app, and then give them to the strike of midnight to share the gospel with at least one other person. Let me challenge them uh, to, to raise up a team in their world that they can train and equip young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are being mobilized for the gospel. Prayer is being prioritized, and believers are being mobilized. Again, that's one of the things I love about Lead the Cause. We mobilize that first day of prayer, man, we get, we get soaked up in celestial oxygen, right? Kids get praying, and then they go out. The next day, they serve, and they use the Life in Six Words app to share Christ as they serve in the cities. And then that next day, they go appless. Because we want them to be able to navigate a gospel conversation from takeoff to touchdown if their phone goes out of, goes out of power, right? We want them to be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dare to share life. Oh, man. It's a mobilization event. It's so exciting because during the day, those of you who participated, you know those videos. We have gospel conversations starting videos that are sent out to their friends and their feed. And guess what we got to see? We got to see a map of the U.S. start at zero and start to scroll up to over 22,600 plus gospel conversations in one 
day and Oklahoma led the board. Let's give the Oklahoma a hand. The Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma. And then they go, kids go out. And, and this year we're going to, they can collect canned food. You can kind of choose your own service project. We're going to give you different ideas. But students are going to get mobilized. And I always have youth, why don't you take kids out? Why don't you do that? It puts, makes them afraid. That's exactly why we do it. Because it terrifies them. And it terrifies you. And when we're terrified, we trust in the Holy Spirit. And when we trust in the Holy Spirit, He empowers us. And when He empowers us, He sets our tongues on fire. And when He sets our tongues on fire, we see God do great things. And we see God do great things. They have the courage to take that gospel message back to not just on a missions trip, but also walking across the cafeteria to share Christ with their friends. The third and final sign of revival is unity is maximized. After they prayed, the place where the meeting was shaken, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly, prayers prioritized, believers are mobilized, unity is maximized. Verse 32 and 33 of Acts 4. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Man, what if, like the early church, we shared everything we had with each other? What if we shared our best practices, our resources, our manpower with each other to advance the cause of Christ? Wouldn't that be the answer to Christ's high priestly prayer in John 17? Amen. That we may be one so that the world will believe. And as many of you have already heard today, I'm not talking about some gooey, ecumenical, kumbaya, it doesn't matter what you believe, let's put our hands in the middle. It doesn't matter what you believe, right? But we got five things to unite us. God, God's Son, God's Spirit, God's Word, Gospel. We on on that? We put our hands in the middle. You make anything else an issue? Now it's an issue. Don't make that an issue. Take care of that in your own church board. We're uniting together for the sake of the gospel to reach every teen everywhere in our community. Yeah. And we're not going to get distracted by lesser things. Yeah. We got these five things in common. That's enough. We got one mission. That's enough. Every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. That's why we got to come together. That's why we got to share leaders in every city. And I know you can get the stream to your own church, but boy, think about opening it up. Because why would we not want to unite with other churches in our city? Because you know what? If all of us filled all of our youth rooms, heck, if all of us filled all of our church sanctuaries, we still would not even begin to really get every team everywhere in our community. We need everyone on board. We need to be champions of everyone. And as has been said, let's steal from the largest youth group in town, which is Satan's. <clears throat> How do you do this? Because you're thinking, there's no way I can do this. There's no way. Number one, remember, we've got the power of the Trinity at our disposal. Right? Doesn't that always happen simple and easy? It's a fight. So we begin to pray. I think of Gerard, man. Gerard in Memphis, grinding it out, came to hear the seven values of youth specialties, begins to, hey, I want to do Dare to Share Live, struggles against some churches participating. But, but they begin to pray. And, and they, do, they do a prayer, a prayer see at the poll event. It gets retweeted by what, the Grizzlies or something, and it gets millions of views on the internet. 400 kids are so gathered together, calling out to God for revival at their school in the inner city of Memphis. 
And then other churches start the next year, more churches get on board. Then we say, Gerard, man, we want a grinder on the national stage. So have somebody else lead your Dare to Share Live. You come and speak. And last year he came and spoke at Dare to Share Live with Zane and I, right? Here's the two national speakers. And Gerard grinded in the streets of Memphis. By the way, he was, from what I heard, the highest rated speaker. And I don't know exactly how I feel about that, but I'll tell you this. developing a template in inner city Memphis to take Memphis back, 200 active gangs, one block at a time, and develop a citywide program that he has already beginning strategies to take to other inner cities and broken parts of the nation to begin to multiply and unify the churches together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be to advance God's kingdom. And it starts by getting that 10%. Ron said, Polytechnic Institute did a study. You get 10% of any group 100% committed to our vision or set of values, they'll inevitably influence the other 90%. Yep. So you don't need all the churches in your city. You need 10% that you can radicalize. Yeah. And I mean radicalize in a biblical way. <laughs> you need 10% to get all in. And you get them, then you get 11%, 12%, 15%, 20%. Suddenly you've got a movement. Suddenly you've got to happen, but they've got to be all in. You know what the, the, the study did? Of, this is of, of movements, of, and not just spiritual movements, but sociological movements. They call them true believers. The secular study calls them true believers. So we've got to shake out those true believers. We've got to find the ones that kind of believe and make them really believe. And find the ones that really believe and make them really believe. And then God starts that movement. And it, it is messy and it is dangerous, and you'll get people upset because those kinds of kids are going to start coming into your youth group, and it's going to be awesome in all the right ways. And Satan's going to get ticked. Good. Prayer is prioritized. Believers are mobilized. Unity is maximized. That's when entire cities will be gospelized. See it all in Acts 4, 31 through 33. It's starting to happen, and it's not just happening here, it's especially happening globally. But a lot of key leaders globally come here and see the potential and the training and the tools as you saw with that partial video with, with David. He takes it back and he mobilizes it in his own country. About a month ago, we had a guy named Joe Bonga from Kenya come to our national fundraising event uh, that we do every year uh, for Dare to Share to kind of fund the movement. And by the way, give a hand to our donors that have made this kind of thing possible. So Joe comes to the first lead the cause a couple years back, the first one to kind of open it up to international, one of the first ones, and he's telling us his plans. Well, you know, I'm, our ministry is partially funded by the United Nations, and I want to use United Nations money to spark a gospel advancing movement uh, in these 31 countries. And I'm like, United Nations money, cuckoo. Okay, anyway, I don't think, I'm, I think this guy's crazy. Well, guess what? He comes back the next year, he's been doing it. He's been taking the Dare to Share material, adjusting it, training and equipping. Matter of fact, listen to this. This year, he's on track and his team to train 250,000 leaders to mobilize 12 million Christian teenagers to share their faith. This year. Did you hear that? Wow. 250,000 leaders in Africa to mobilize, not to reach, to mobilize 12 million Christian <coughs> teens to share their faith. What's their strategy? The cause circle. Prayer, care, share. 
What's their tool? They use the life in six words. And they use the app. And he told us a story that I'm not going to tell, I'm going to read. I met Aisha, these are his words, in Zanzibar, a place known for its persecution of Christians that includes burning down churches, torture, and murder of believers. Aisha was charming and kind-hearted and offered to take me to my meeting place, though I was very nervous since I was meeting our undercover teen outreach coordinator who ministers to teens of Muslim families. During our time together, Aisha was led to Christ by another girl in the ministry who used the Life in Six Words app to share the gospel with her. Aisha immediately went into hiding with another Christian sister out of fear that her own family would turn her into the authorities. We trained Aisha to share the gospel using the life in six words, and she could not hide her joy. Despite her circumstances, she was overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord. She would later share the life in six words app with some of her friends. Two of them agreed to believe in Jesus, but three of them refused harshly, calling her a kafir, meaning an infidel, and deserter and rejecter of faith in Arabic. Whether well, two friends Aisha led to Christ escaped to Tanzania, she did not. They told Aisha's parents what had happened and where she was. Within a day, Aisha was arrested, taken to Sharia court. She was given 24 hours to renounce her faith in Christ. You see, in Zanzibar, a country that's 97% Muslim, believing in Jesus and sharing the gospel is a life or death decision. The local authorities reward those who turn in Christian friends and... Um, Christians are punished up to a third and fourth generation of their families. Word reached us that Aisha refused to recant her faith and was martyred in cold blood. Little did we know that in her final hours in prison, Aisha wrote a letter to her friends of her faith in Jesus, and she shared the gospel using the life in six words. Out of respect for her death, her teacher would later read the letter to her classmates. Twenty of her classmates put their faith in Jesus. The number was so overwhelming that local authorities couldn't kill them all, so they instead banished them to distant relatives in the rural countryside and in other countries. Word reached our other underground fellowships in West Africa that 11 more teens dedicated their lives to serve and die for the gospel. God used this disbanded and dispersed group of teens to lead 11 others who would go on missions trips in places like Samaria uh, and Eritrea, I can't pronounce it, Eritrea, the last communicated, uh, communication I received was that out of the 11 teenagers, 40 underground house churches had been established. I believe Christian persecution is an issue of our time. A movement begun in West Africa because one teenager was led to Christ by another teenager who wrote a letter before she was martyred sharing the gospel of Christ. And those kids dispersed and began a church planting movement that's going on and going strong to this day. I don't ever want to hear a teen say, I'll, I'll die of embarrassment to share my faith. You die of martyrdom. You get embarrassed, but you die of martyrdom. I want to share this story of Dare to Share Life, so don't you dare share it before me. <laughs> because I want the kids in the United States to be motivated. I want to, I want to, I look at that red life in six words app, that red symbol now, and I think of the blood of Christ. But I also think of Aisha who shed blood using an app to share her faith because of training she got and lead the cause because of a simple gospel message that we take for granted in the United States but is revolutionizing Africa right now. 
12 million teens being mobilized to 250,000 leaders. Well, we can't let Africa have all the fun. We need to see that same movement begin. Actually, it has begun. We need to see that same movement accelerated in the United States. How do we do that? How do we keep it going? We prioritize prayer. Prayer is prioritized. Believers are mobilized. <coughs> Unity is maximized. I challenge you and encourage you to utilize the tools at your disposal to dare to share life, to life in six words app, to all of our partners in the back, to lead the cause, scrap and scrape and put it together, and let's see this movement blow up yeah. for the glory of God. Yeah. I'm going to show you a video real quick. This video um, <coughs> kind of gives you a taste of the power and potential of a global movement through an army of teenagers. Check it out. A spark starting. A fire building. A revolution spreading all over the world. Because we dare to share. We got the skills. We have the tools. To share face to face. And face to face. Day, night, whenever. I'm connected. I am everywhere. I share Jesus anywhere. I speak Mandarin. Arabic. Hungarian. Because I speak Google. That's how it is. Oceans can't stop me. Jungles and swamps and deserts and mountains can't stop me. Guns and gangs and tyrants and thugs can't stop me. It's like this. Phone. Touch. Text. Boom. Connection. Hey, hey! What's on my heart is on your heart. Is on her heart. Is on his heart. One voice becomes a thousand. Becomes a million. More people than any tent or stadium can hold. We're taking charge of this revolution. This gospel revolution. This generation's gonna get it done while we're young, while hearts are open. A billion teen hearts are at stake. Whole countries are at stake. The future of the church is at stake. We get it, because we're fearless. Through Christ, we're fearless. And we won't stop until every teen everywhere has Jesus in their life and fire in their soul.